The reading today is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly the angels came and waited on him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, no matter the situation, circumstances, we draw upon you with each other hand in hand to learn how to walk in this journey. So lead us and guide us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Last week, we were on the mountaintop, a mountaintop experience with a glimpse of the eternal and the holy. Jesus then descended that mountain and returned to the streets and the road to the cross. Today, our lesson is at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, not a mountaintop, but a wilderness. Now, a mountaintop experience has become a metaphor for inspiration, for enlightenment. And a wilderness experience has become a metaphor for emptiness, for longing, thirsting for God. Maybe even with an expectation that as we thirst for God, God answers that thirst, but our scenic view may be different than our home fires. Now, back to how this text begins. After Jesus' baptism, he's dripping wet, and he goes straight to work into the wilderness, the desert. This is not a typical pastor's journey. We kind of like that mountaintop. We like to get down into the let's start accomplishing things straight away. Jesus avoids the straightaway, avoids the accomplishments, and goes away. 
Now, if we are following Jesus, we pastor type, and you, the disciples of Christ, maybe we need to reconsider how Jesus does ministry. Doesn't start it in the mountain. He starts it in the wilderness. Are wilderness experiences to be avoided or commended? Now, the book of Exodus tells us that the formerly enslaved people were in the desert with Moses who led them for 40 years, walking in the wilderness as they learned to do things God's way versus the ways that they were taught in Egypt. Then in the Gospels, Jesus asks his disciples to walk with him and never gave them Google instructions on what was coming next or where they were going next. He didn't even need Google. He was standing right there, but still he didn't tell them. The three years with Jesus was also a wilderness experience of not knowing what he was going to do next or what they were supposed to do next. Now let's move forward. The brand new church post Pentecost, wanted to escape the wilderness. We have a resurrected Lord. Look at all we can do. Our numbers are growing. They became organized. The canon of scripture was, was composed. Liturgies were established. Creeds were written and memorized, and everything was done properly and in order come around the year 600, some became mystified by such structure and longed for the days of quiet contemplation and no liturgy. So the church had been established, but the glamour of the congregations caused some to return to the wilderness cave dwellings naturally formed in wilderness became places of sanctuary not just for priests and for nuns but for people who chose to leave the large organization of the church and this is only the year 600 and move aside into the wilderness vast open places where people did not have the organizations of cities at that time to interfere with their communion with God. Sanctuary. Our fathers and mothers left the cities to find solace with God alone in fierce wildernesses. These saints started monasteries, nunneries. They wrote about what they learned about communion with God and with each other. And they brought that wisdom and experience from the desert back to the organized church to help the church reconsider and reimagine how to be church. Author and Presbyterian minister Belden C. Lane wrote, The solace of fierce landscapes, which depicts the danger and desolation of the desert as a boon to the soul. I'm quoting him, with its unmitigated honesty that the wilderness brings, its dreadful capacity to strip bare its long 
compelling silence, the wilderness. Lane suggests that a journey into the wilderness is good because only at the periphery of our lives, he writes, where we and our understanding of God alike are undone, can we understand the bewilderment, bewilderment as occasioning another way to know God. I am the last person that wants to enter the wilderness, except when it's as beautiful as Bryce Canyon. This caught my awe to realize that wind, sand, rain, even snow, changes earth formations into such amazing design. I thank you, Don Fiddler, for allowing us to use your photograph of Bryce Canyon. Creation gives us a new way to be brought into communion with God through disruptions that can cause such beauty. So now I want to change pictures. I want to go to a painting from James Tissot, the French painter, who painted many scenes from scripture. This is his version called Temptation in the Desert. I love the way he depicts the satin. I refuse to say the common way that that thing's name is said because this is not a person. This is an anti-God's way. So in Hebrew, the satin, I choose to use that pronunciation, so that's what I'm talking about. I would not give the satin credit for tempting Jesus. And it seems that Tussaud might have had the same thought in his mind. There is plenty of temptations. There are plenty of temptations that reside in our minds. The temptation for glamour, recognition, popularity, influence, a voice, productivity, fame, and of course the temptation for power. These are not named by Jesus. They are part of a world. Daily routines. Tissot's title on his painting asks us to reconsider who is being tempted. Is Jesus being tempted or is the Satan being tempted? Look at the way Tissot draws the satin, emaciated, irrelevant, on the edge of the cave, not toe-to-toe -to -toe standing with Jesus, but kind of like, well, why don't you just turn these stones to bread? I wonder how much Jesus was actually tempted. After all, writes Carolyn Lewis from Luther Seminary, we are talking about Jesus, the Son of God. Did the Son of God really need this dance with the devil, her words, not mine, to be certain of himself or his mission? Do we need affirmation from God to be certain of ourselves or our mission? End quote. Tradition says that the satin tested Jesus, I understand and respect tradition, but 
perhaps Jesus was the one testing the devil. The Satan has had the skill for faithfulness to God, but not the willingness. Jesus had both. Perhaps this insight guides Jesus to look first for willingness in his disciples. Not just brute force, not do it this way or go home. Willingness. Now what about the possibility that Jesus was setting the stage for the satin, emaciated, non-influential presence to be defeated by the Son of Man. I believe Jesus knew who he was. I believe he saw the cross. I believe he already saw the defeat of the one tempting him. In Jesus' ministry, you know perfectly well, he said, get behind me in talking to the satin. Consider this phrase as one would speak to a person with inappropriate behavior. No. Back up. Get back here. I'm the one you're going to follow. Just get behind me and let's go this way. Now, Jesus is quoting scripture for himself or for you and me. I obviously think the latter. He was not trying to avoid temptation himself, but giving us the words and the scriptures we may quote when we are tempted as is a natural thing to occur. Jesus sees the cross not as a failure, but as a victory, and is not running away from anything that is perceived as temptation. Now, the satin is doing its job. Its job is to accuse, to test, to cause insecurity about the ways of God. It did not trip up Job, and it did not certainly trip up Jesus. But this glimpse into the wilderness gives us a picture as Tussaud is giving us, who is stronger here, the satin or Jesus, in your wildernesses? Remember who's stronger. It's visually painted right in front of you. Being tempted is absolutely normal. And who is stronger to lead you out? So remember, there is something about the wilderness experience that brings mission into clarity, even through a period of insecurity. The world will tempt us to trust glossy, edited versions of our lives to the point of worshiping our glittering images. These 40 days that we travel in a Lenten wilderness can remind us to step aside from self-serving ways and instead focus on the picture and strength of the love and grace of God through Jesus. For God's gracious gaze upon you is real. Amen.